to the Kung Fu Dragon Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. Five math characters with amazing superpowers. One of them is a wall crawler. Another has blinding speed, and still another has impenetrable skin. We're not talking about the latest Marvel movie. We're talking about a classic piece of Kung Fu cinema known as The Five Deadly Venoms. Welcome, everybody, to the premiere episode of the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vita, and on this podcast, we will discuss, debate, and dissect Kung Fu and martial arts cinema, past, present, and future. Chances are you perked up a little bit when you heard that music, because that song was the intro to the Saturday afternoon drive-in movie. Now, the drive-in movie aired on Channel 5 at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and it was the perfect thing for coming in after playing with your friends and wanting to wind down a little bit. You would plop down in front of the TV, and you would hear that music, and you knew that you were in for some kind of treat. The drive-in movie would show a bunch of different things. Sometimes it would show a B-horror movie. Sometimes it would show a teen comedy. Sometimes it would show uh, a kaiju film. But what it was most famous for, and what it was most beloved for, arguably, was the kung fu cinema that really shaped an entire generation. Remember, this is the 70s, and kung fu was huge. And for my generation, that was our superhero movie. But instead of running around with a magic hammer or a suit of armor... We wanted to run around with Japanese stars or silk pajamas that made all kinds of crazy noises from even the slightest movement. But again, this was a time where Kung Fu ruled all over the country. Seriously, everybody was Kung Fu fighting. Everybody was Kung Fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little... So, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, and I was raised on a steady diet of the Saturday afternoon drive-in movie. I would sit down in front of the TV at 3 o'clock, and I would immerse myself in that hour and a half to two hours worth of masterful kung fu fighting, and I would get up from there and I would tell my parents, Mom, Dad, you know, I want to learn kung fu, I want to learn Drunken Monk, and I want to learn um, Mantis and Tiger and Crane and all of this stuff, and Newark in that time... Again, everybody wanted to be Kung Fu fighters. Uh, Newark had a lot of Kung Fu schools, and I'm doing these air quotes because it was Newark, not Shaolin. So whatever I was going to learn there, it wasn't going to be what I was watching in these Kung Fu movies. You know, These guys were graceful and masterful and strong and controlled and powerful. And I took Taekwondo for 20, 25 minutes total in my lifetime. And after that one class, I wasn't running around and flying and blowing candles out with the wave of my fist or sticking to walls or uh, balancing on the tips of my fingers. So that's the extent of my martial arts knowledge. But martial arts was still a huge part of my life because of the Saturday Afternoon Drive-In movie and because of movies like this. The Five Deadly Venoms is without a doubt one of the undisputed kings of all vintage kung fu cinema. If you are a fan of kung fu cinema, martial arts movies in general, 
you know what the five deadly venoms are. You know that they are members of the poison clan. You know that it's the toad, the lizard, the snake, the centipede, and the scorpion. You know all of that because if you are a fan of Kung Fu movies, The Five Deadly Venoms was one of the best Kung Fu movies ever. Okay, now hold on. I know some of you are probably screaming, Whoa, hold up. What about Bruce Lee? What about Jackie Chan? What about Jet Li? I gotcha. I hear you. And I understand. I tend to put these films into different buckets or subgenres, if you will. The classic vintage Kung Fu cinema, the Shaw Brothers stuff, the Golden Harvest stuff, where there's a lot of camp and a lot of comedy and some tropes that get repeated from film to film, that will be one bucket. Then there's the stuff like Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee and Jet Li, where the fighting is more realistic and they focus a lot more on story structure and character development and acting. Uh, that kind of stuff will be another subgenre. Then there's the wuxia subgenre, which took the camp and comedy of the early vintage cinema and replaced it with wizardry and sorcery and magic and demons, gods and goddesses and all that stuff. So you got a little bit more fantasy elements to that uh, along with the incredible martial arts. So that'll be another bucket. And then we've got the hyper-realistic stuff. Hard Target, Ip Man, Ong Bak, Kickboxer, all those movies. The point being, there's a whole world of Kung Fu cinema out there, and we don't have to say that one is the best at the expense of another. And what we're going to do with this podcast is try to experience all of that amazing stuff and really just enjoy the films for what they are. Okay, so back to this movie. The Five Deadly Venoms was released in 1978. It was directed by Chang Shea and produced by the Shaw Brothers Studios. And Entertainment Weekly actually had this on their top 50 cult films list at number 11, um, which is all well and good. But in doing research for this show, I looked at a number of martial arts cinema aficionados pages and to a page, they had the Five Deadly Venoms in their top 10, if not their top five films of all time. And personally, I have them in my top five. Uh, Spoiler alert, I have them at number one. But that's not really not out of the question because this movie really did define Kung Fu cinema for a lot of people, myself included. Uh, it starred Chang Sheng, Sun Chen, Philip Kuo, Lo Mang, Wei Pei, and Lu Feng. And these guys collectively became known as the Venom Mob due to the success of this film. It catapulted them to superstardom within the martial arts cinema world, and they went on to make a bunch of great movies together. The master of the Poison Clan is dying, and he's worried that some of his five former students, who have gotten in trouble for, have plotted to steal the school treasury, which has been entrusted to a colleague who has since returned to town to settle affairs. And he instructs his last student, Yang, to find the first five students before they find the treasure, and if necessary, kill them. That's the opening of this movie. That is the plot. The dying instructor of a school known as the Poison Clan instructs his final student, to find his former students and stop them from robbing the school's treasury and, if necessary, kill them. Awesome. Uh, But Yang, by himself, is no match for any of the five students because they are the five deadly venoms. And each venom has been trained specifically in one martial arts style. Number one student is the centipede. That focuses on quick strikes that move so fast that it seems like he's got 100 arms and legs all attacking at the same time. Number two student is the snake which gives the fighter an attacking head on one arm and a whipping tail on the other, which combined goes after pinpoint attacks on your opponent. Number three student is the scorpion, which presents a dual threat from a 
pincer-like hand attack combined with paralyzing stinging kicks. Number four is the lizard, which could defy gravity for short stints and actually climb up and attack from walls. And number five is the toad, which possessed nearly invulnerable skin, save for one hidden weak spot, which, if discovered and attacked, collapses the integrity of his invulnerability. Um, Yang is in a tough spot here, because he's learned a little bit of each style from the master, but not enough to make him particularly adept at any one style, nor a formidable opponent for the five Venoms. His only hope, according to the master, is to combine with one of the former Venoms to help defeat the others. Okay, problem number one. Yang has no idea what the individual Venoms look like, because they all wore masks. Centipede and Snake knew who each other was, and Toad and Lizard knew who each other was, but no one knew who Scorpion was. And then there's poor Yang, who doesn't know who anybody looks like, um, because they all wore these awesome masks. And this particular training sequence, when the master was telling Yang about all of the former students, was what stayed with me so um, strongly after I had seen the films. And it stayed with me for decades, uh, because you were introduced to all of these five Venoms, and they had these cool masks on, and they were demoing their styles, and uh, you got the sound effects and the slow motion uh, showing them using their kicks and punches and climbs and attacks, and it was amazing. Uh, the lizard, uh, which was the wall crawler, uh, had the most visually arresting of the demos because he would do his stance and then he would start an attack and then he would literally run straight up a wall, turn around, and then present himself in attack pose from the wall, you know, 90 degrees sticking out of the wall, which is amazing. If Hollywood is insistent on rebooting movies for the sake of reboot, please, please, please reboot this movie. Hire me as a consultant, and let's bring the Five Deadly Venoms back to life, because frankly, they deserve it a little bit more than the Ghostbusters, okay? All right, and speaking of Hollywood, here's a homework assignment for you guys, who from now on, by the way, I'm going to call my Poison Clan. So you guys are my Poison Clan. Uh, if Hollywood were to reboot the Five Deadly Venoms, who would you want to star in the roles? Email me at kungfudrivein at gmail.com, all one word, no dashes, no nothing, and let me know. I'll read the results in a future podcast. Kung Fu requires a level of physical fitness that few have achieved, but you don't need to be a Kung Fu master to get into the best shape of your life. As an independent Beachbody coach, Jeff Vita has helped many people focus on better nutrition and exercise to shape up and slim down in as little as 60 days. All for free. Sign up for a free account with Jeff at www.beachbodycoach.com slash ignisaurumprobat. That link will be in the show notes. To get his coaching and guidance from nutrition to workout tips, as well as daily motivation to follow through on a program that suits your needs and goals. Jeff can speak from experience, having lost 51 pounds while doing the Insanity Max 30 workout. You can see his transformation on YouTube via the link in the show notes. Ignis Orm Probot, Fire Test Gold, Time to Shine.
This movie's only 98 minutes long, so the action has to pick up fast, and we don't really have time for story or character development, so we're going to have to take some leaps of logic through some pretty gaping plot holes, but um, this is Kung Fu now, so we got this, right? All right, so you ready? Our Venom hybrid student, Yang, is loose in the city now, and in a span of about 10 minutes, we meet the lizard, the toad, the centipede, and the snake. And somehow Yang gets entangled with all these guys to some degree. We find out that the lizard is actually Officer Ho of the city's police force, while Toad is his buddy who just arrived in town. Centipede is a local goon who works for a rich businessman who happens to be the snake. Then it gets really real. By the way, this is not unlike porn, right? Um, at least from what I've heard, because I've never actually watched any. Wink, wink. But you meet the characters, you have a basic story, and the whole point is to get to the action fast and furious and just keep it moving. So, fight scene. This is the first big fight scene of the film, and Liu Fang, who plays the centipede, and Wei Pei, who plays the snake, do an amazing job of showing off their skills and really showing how they're different enough so that you can see how the styles might actually be uh, effective in their own rights. Liu Fang made his career playing the heavy in, in these movies, and he really works it throughout this film in his clearly the bad guy red vest and uh, his mirror universe evil beard. Um, he'll really milk that later in the film, but we'll talk about that later. Um, Wei Pei is, is really graceful and, uh, and a deadly snake, though apparently he wasn't as skilled a martial artist as the other Venoms. Much credit to him because he took fake until you make it to new heights with his skills here. So now the snake and centipede have tracked down the teacher's old friend and they try to strong arm him into giving him the info. When he refuses, they straight up kill his entire family, servants and everybody. The old man still won't give up the info. Centipede decides to show him more of the centipede skills and he winds up kicking the guy to death without getting any of the treasure information at all so they're going to leave empty-handed um an eyewitness though happens to be there and catches centipede leaving the scene of the crime meanwhile back in the murder house we finally meet the scorpion but he's still in full mask glory so we still don't know who he is but he apparently knew something that centipede and snake didn't because uh, as the teacher's friend was dying he grabbed a candle and clutched it to his chest scorpion goes right over to that candle breaks it open and Voila, finds a map to the treasure. Back in the real world now, news of the murder spreads quickly, and our eyewitness comes forward to ID the centipede as the killer. The, the cops set an ambush for the centipede, and of course Toad happens to be passing through, but we don't care because this is going to be the first Venom versus Venom fight in this one, and it's going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome doozy. Lo Mang as the Toad is a, is a real physical specimen, and he and Lu Feng go all out here. But before they fight, they make sure they announce to everyone gathered that they are the toad and the centipede of this highly secret poison clan who never reveals their identity or takes people alive. Anyway. Fight scene. They get their fight on, and it's uh, hypnotic watching these two go at it. Lu Feng ups the ante with his uh, speed and skill uh, in one particular sequence where he breaks off a few back handsprings then leaps over the Toad, and then drops down and goes into this windmill kicking attack. Toad, meanwhile, gets to show off uh, how much punishment he can take he, by taking swords, uh, punches, and kicks to his body with no effect. And of course, no fight is going to be complete without loads of Kung Foley, and it's all here in spades. Oh, by the way, the cops who set this ambush just step to the side and let this fight happen. 
they're like refs in a hockey fight, just kind of skating around the scrum until somebody drops to the ice. And um, oh, and Yang, our hybrid venom, is also uh, in this scene, and he inserts himself into the fight by accidentally stumbling onto the centipede during a, that crucial windmill kick session, and disrupts his fighting rhythm enough that the cops can all move in at once and uh, slap the centipede into chains and get him immediately before the judge. I mean, immediately. They take him straight from that fight scene right to the judge. And uh, I know there are problems in the justice system all over the world, but if I was to be tried in any court, ancient China and Manitowoc County, Wisconsin, would be a dead heat for places to not get arrested. So here's how this crazy court scene goes down. The centipede is brought in, again, directly from the fight, Brought in before the judge. The judge says, how do you plead? Centipede says, innocent. Judge says, you're lying. Centipede says, no, I'm innocent. Judge says, bring in the witness. Witness comes in. Judge says, witness, is this the man that did the murder? Witness says, yes, that's the man. Centipede says, no, I'm innocent. The judge says, you're lying. All right. Use torture. Let's repeat that. <laughs> the judge says, all right, use torture. So they slap these leg clamps on the centipede, and they squeeze it until he's screaming in agony. And he still maintains his innocence, so the judge is about to order a second round of torture when he spots a note on his desk that is from the five deadly venoms. It's just a, a sheet of paper with the logos of all of the venoms scrawled on it, and just because he sees that, he pretty much dismisses the case. So now this starts the machinery in motion to set up a frame job that would make the Minnetowoc County Sheriff's Department really proud. The scorpion pays a visit to the snake and basically convinces the snake that the toad has to die because he's a threat to the poison clan. Mind you, this is despite already having the treasure map in his possession, but whatever. The snake is on board and uh, happens to have the judge coming over to his house. Now, presumably, the judge is coming directly from the trial right to his house because, again, there's no real clear passage of time in this movie, but in any case, the, the judge shows up and the snake bribes the judge to have the toad take the fall for the murder. And the judge is very eager to accept the bribe, so he pays off some guards to have the eyewitness change his story and finger the toad for the murder of the Yun family. So the cops go snatch up the toad and bring him to court, and the judge has uh, the toad there with the eyewitness and the centipede, and he asks the eyewitness to finger the guy who actually did the murder. And the eyewitness, of course, points to the toad. There's a couple of minor fight scenes in there, nothing big enough to earn the uh, fight scene drop that you've heard here before. But um, the outcome is that the toad and the centipede are both going to spend some time in jail until Officer Ho, who is the lizard, comes back to vouch for the toad's story. Meanwhile, the snake has convinced the judge that the only way to get the toad to confess is to use the Iron Maiden, which is this enclosure with 10,000 needles that will wrap around the toad's body, except for his head, and with all of those needles, at least one of them has to hit that weak spot that would render the toad's invulnerability useless. Now, the judge is a little bit hesitant because, and get this, he actually says, But this torture, it's illegal. Oh, that torture is illegal. Gotcha. In any case, he gets over that little technicality without any problems and gives the okay to go ahead and construct the Iron Maiden. Things get pretty nasty from here on out. 
Every day, whether you realize it or not, you're moved by the power of visual communication. And that's by design. At Tinbox Marketing Solutions, the goal of that design is to bring effective communication to a myriad of people through shape, color, texture, and sound. Tinbox is a creative services group located in Los Angeles, California, by way of New York City. Their clients include La Tigre, Konami, Pony Footwear, and comedian Jerry Seinfeld. For the bleeding edge in graphic design and print services, don't think outside the box. There is no box. TinboxSolutions.com about watching this movie it's available on netflix right now it's in the original chinese but you can turn on the caption so you can follow along um and if you're resourceful you can find it anywhere else on the interwebs um but when i was a kid this whole next sequence was pretty traumatic for me so this is your spoiler alert if you haven't seen this movie yet and you want to go watch it press pause right now go watch the movie and then come on back ready okay now for everybody that stuck around like i said when i was a kid this was a really traumatic sequence for me because like I said it got ugly really fast here so the um, toad is now in jail right and he's going to get uh, brought up before the court and they're going to try to figure out a way to make him confess to this killing which he obviously is not uh, responsible for so while he's in the prison they drug him and while he is unconscious they drag him over to the court where the Iron Maiden has already been built they slap him into the Iron Maiden and they close it on him but he wakes up and he busts out and he is less than happy. Fight scene. As the toad busts out of the Iron Maiden, he says, I'm no weak spot, so it won't work. I'm sorry. And then he goes after the few cops that are there. Remember, this is the courtroom and it's part of the trial. So the chief of police is there, there's a bunch of cops, the judge is there, and the toad is presumably there to be tortured into a confession. But the toad's not having any of it. He kicks the few cops to the side, and he makes a play to go after the judge. And lo and behold, the snake pops out to save him. And here now is the big fight between the toad and the snake. Now, when you were a kid and you wanted to pretend you were fighting kung fu, one of the first things that you tried to do was the snake style. Because you got your hand up into that cobra position, and you would hiss, and make those crazy noises, because that was the coolest fighting style. Uh, at least it was the most visual, and it had the coolest sounds uh, at the time. So, watching the snake do his thing was, was pretty fun. And Wei Pei does a great job with it, even though apparently he wasn't as great a martial artist as everybody else. And it's kind of visible in this particular fight, because it isn't as acrobatic uh, with jumps and flips and uh, tumbles and all of that as the centipede toad fight was earlier in the movie. Still, an amazing fight. I suppose if you know Kung Fu and you know what to look for, this could look very childish or amateurish to you, but for those of us who are watching it who didn't know a lick of Kung Fu, this was magic. I mean, they were so graceful and so acrobatic and so strong-looking when they were running around, jumping and, and throwing these punches and counter-punches. The snake... And the toad exchanged some vicious blows in this particular fight. And it looks like 
for a while there, the toad has the upper hand uh, because the snake can't do anything against the, the toad's invulnerability. There's this awesome sequence in the fight where the toad is really pressing his advantage and he goes to deliver a strike and the snake drops back into this matrix bend where just his feet are on the ground but everywhere from the knees up is parallel to the ground with, you know, with no wires, presumably. But the snake drops down to the floor and then we get a flashback to that training sequence where the snake is doing his moves on the floor while he's slithering backwards. So he gets to do that here. So he slithers away just enough to get himself up and he executes this jump, this crazy jump, and he hurdles through the air towards the toad. Now, you ever see those videos of those uh, snakes in I don't know what country that pop out of the trees and slither through the air? They're like flying snakes, I, guess, I think is what they're called. But I imagine that's what they were trying to do here with the snake attack because he flies through the air towards the toad. The toad grabs him by the wrist and tosses him away. And it looks like he's about to deal a killing blow. But as he's advancing, these needles fly in from off screen and pierce the toad's ears on either side of his head. The toad immediately recognizes that it's the scorpion's doing, but he can't worry about it so much now because now his invulnerability is broken, and the snake knows this. So now the snake turns the tide and goes after the toad and starts to really break him down. So the toad rips these needles out of his ear, and there's blood just gushing out, and the snake is not going to let up, obviously. So he goes in there for the kill, and as he goes in... He makes the fangs out of his fingers and strikes the toad on either side of his head so that his fingers dig into the toad's head and into that weak spot. That's enough. That puts the toad down for the count, right? And uh, as he's down there, he instructs them to throw him back into the Iron Maiden. So the cops pick him up and throw him into the Iron Maiden and close it on him. That's enough to shock the toad's system to the point where he passes out from the pain. Now, according to the judge, there can't be a conviction without a confession, so they have to find a way to get the Toad to actually sign a confession statement that he was the killer in this crime. So what does the snake suggest? He suggests another round of torture. So they slap the Toad in chains, get him out before the judge again, and the judge suggests that the next form of torture is going to be something called the Iron Coat. Now, what's the Iron Coat? The iron coat is this torso-shaped piece of metal that they heat up red-hot over a flame, and they bring it over to the toad, and they press it against his back, straight up ironing his flesh. And while he's screaming in agony, the judge is trying to get him to confess. The toad, because he's got no invulnerability, passes out from the pain. And while he's on the ground, prone, and the entire courtroom is probably smelling of burnt toad, uh, the corrupt cop comes over with a confession statement and forges his signature <laughs> from his limp hand uh, onto the statement and hands it to the judge. Again, every cop is in the courtroom watching all of this happen and just kind of taking it all in. But now with a signed confession, the centipede is free to go. So he walks out of the courtroom. The eyewitness, who again identifies the toad as the killer, also walks out of the courtroom, and the toad is going to be scheduled for execution. And now we're at the part that was really traumatizing for me as a kid while watching this movie. Our hero, the toad, is in jail. His back is a blistered, bloody mess. 
His chest is riddled with pinholes. His ears are still bleeding. He's groggy, disoriented, and completely out of it. The corrupt cop comes to pay him a visit, presumably to talk to him about his upcoming execution. Instead, the corrupt cop essentially waterboards him to death. The toad, who had this invulnerable skin, was super powerful, was jacked, is on the ground being held down by other corrupt cops while the main corrupt cop puts layers of paper across his face that are soaked in water so that he slowly suffocates. What a terrible way to go. They make it look like the toad hung himself, and that's the last that we see of the toad, him hanging lifeless in his jail cell. The Electric Church is a heartwarming tale of contract murder, body horror, dystopia, and vampires. Okay, there are no vampires, but if my publisher would listen to me and put vampires on the cover, we'd sell a million copies and I'd be rich enough to afford security against all the pissed off vampire fans we duped. But so far my publisher just hangs up the phone and sends me threatening letters about the whole vampire thing, so forget I said anything at all. Avery Cates is a gunner in a future where the world has been united under one government, which means yay, no more war, but mm, way more beatings at the hands of brutal security forces known as the System Police. The fastest-growing religion in this grim world is the Electric Church, founded by a mysterious man named Dennis Squalor, which preaches that a normal human lifespan is too short to attain salvation, so why not pop your pulsing living brain into a cyborg body so you can live forever, praying and praying and murdering people? The Church, it turns out, is saving souls the only way that makes sense in this crazy world, forcibly via gunshot wound to the chest followed by emergency back-alley brain transplant surgery. I am not making this up. The cops can't go after the church directly because its status as a religion gives it some protection. But after he and his psionic sidekick kill a system cop, Avery Cates is forced to take on a contract on Dennis Squalor's life. Cates puts together a lovable ragamuffin group of thieves, hackers, and kidnap victims and travels to London, where the church is headquartered. There he deals with pesky law enforcement, a rogue monk that wants very badly to kill him in a painful manner, and a legendary gunner thought long dead who takes an interest in the project, much to Cates' distress. After battling through the church's security, Cates discovers the terrible secrets behind the whole world order and the cops try to double-cross him. But Cates is too badass awesome, and while just about everyone around him dies horribly, he survives to star in the sequel. There's singing, dancing, and cupcake recipes. Not really. But damn, I should have put that in there. That would have been way cooler. For more on Avery Cates, visit avery-cates.com. That's A-V-E-R-Y-C-A-T-E-S dot com. Officer Ho, who's also the lizard, has been off on a wild goose chase at this point, but he returns home to find out that his buddy the toad has been framed and murdered. Meanwhile, the hybrid venom tracks him down and tries to form an alliance so that they can go after the other venoms. The lizard is of course skeptical of this guy until the hybrid venom drops this super famous line. Poison plan rocks the world. Guys, that's going to be my first tweet, so if you're going to follow me, follow me at Kung Fu Drive-In and you will find Poison Clan Rocks the World as my first tweet.
Okay, so the lizard and the hybrid venom decide that they're going to get together and train to be ready to defeat the other venoms. And this is a great training sequence because the hybrid venom is using all of the stuff that he learned from the master before he set on his journey to instruct the lizard on what they need to do together to beat these guys. You know, for the centipede, they have to go high and low. For the snake, they have to attack both head and tail at the same time. But they still don't know who the scorpion is. Regardless, they decide to take the fight directly to the snake and the centipede to try and finish this once and for all. Along the way, they run into the chief of police, who has since quit his job and was going to leave town. They tell him what they're up to, and the chief decides to accompany them to the house. Final fight! So we've come down to this, gang. This is it. The final battle. And it's an incredible, incredible fight scene. I can watch this fight scene over and over again. Because the skill and timing and choreography is just so amazing. I have trouble patting my head and rubbing my belly at the same time. And these guys are flipping off of walls, tossing each other through the air. And I'm blown away every time I watch this fight scene. If you only want to watch this final fight scene, go check out YouTube or Daily Motion because there's a ton of clips of just this fight scene because it really is that amazing. We won't go through a blow-for-blow blow of this fight scene because I want you guys to actually watch it and experience it. If you're experiencing it for the first time, you'll see what all the hype is about. If you're reliving this whole experience, enjoy it because it's so much fun. But... The big takeaways in this fight scene are that the hybrid venom and the lizard work together incredibly well and do some amazing things fighting off of the wall in some sequences and really put those lessons that the master gave to the hybrid venom to good use to tackle the other venoms. The snake is the first venom to go down as the chief of police, who up to this point has just been watching, reveals himself to be the scorpion. reaches into his scorpion utility belt and throws a few darts into the snake to take him out of the fight. He doesn't kill him, however, and that does come back to bite him. Literally, as the snake sneaks up on him while he's engaged in the fight, mortally wounding him. The rest of the fight scene is really jam-packed with some incredible acrobatics, and it really is one of my favorite fight scenes of all time, so I won't spoil the rest of it and let you know who dies and who walks away with the money. Um, but this did make me a fan of the Venom mob for, for many films to come. Unfortunately, there was a sad real-life ending for one of our Venom. After the Venom mob disbanded in 1981 and kind of went their separate ways, Chang Shang, who played our hybrid Venom, couldn't get work in Taiwan for a very long time and fell into a deep depression. Uh, he started drinking heavily, and apparently in 1991 he died of a heart attack. Uh, but... Kuo Choi, who played the lizard, said that he thinks that it was more of a broken heart that killed Chang Shang. So, rest in peace, Chang Shang. Thank you for being the hybrid Venom and bringing him to life for me. Uh, you were always my favorite Venom. Okay, guys, that does it for this first episode of the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. I'm Jeff Vita. Thank you for joining me. Follow me at Kung Fu Driving on Twitter. Like my Facebook page, Kung Fu Driving Podcast. 
email me, kungfudriving at gmail.com, and tune in next week when we tackle the other grand poobah of kung fu movies so popular that the Wu-Tang Clan named an album after it, the Gordon Liu masterpiece, Master Killer, also known as the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. Peace out, everybody, and remember... Poison Clan rocks the world. <laughs>